Amen. Let's, let's, let's go before the Lord one more time in prayer, and then, um, then we'll get into this word. Hmm. Hmm. Lord, you are kind and gracious to allow us to come to this place today to worship you. I pray that our act of worship is acceptable in your sight. I pray that you would fill us with joy as we sing praises to your name, as we've sung praises to your name. And now, Lord, I'm asking that you would allow the word to do its perfect work in the hearts and in the minds of the people, that they would see and know that you are God, that they would taste and see that you are good. Lord, I confess even right now as I stand here, the, the, the feeling of weakness and the inability I have. And the only comfort I have is knowing that when I'm, when I'm weak, you are strong in me. I confess a weary month to you when my soul has been tired, my mind has been tired, and so hasn't the people. But Lord, every week we get to renew our strength in you. And I pray that whatever meal that is eaten today would be digested well and that it would sustain myself and our people throughout their week by pointing them to the feast who is Jesus, that they would constantly be feeding on his word and on his truth, that they wouldn't allow the busyness of life and the deceitfulness of sin to pull their eyes away from you, your will, your love, Lord, I pray that you would draw your people and draw those who don't near you to yourself this morning, that they would give you all the worship due your name. Lord, you are truly an awesome God, and we will be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and open up in your Bible and your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. We're only going to look at one verse today. Uh, my name is Pastor Canaan. Welcome if you're new. Welcome if you're old. Welcome. Glad y'all here. Not old in age. Old like been coming a long time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Open up to Galatians. See, I'm going to get beat up by the old folk later. Uh, we're only going to cover one verse today because this verse has more weight theologically than what it looks like in the beginning. And I'm not going to try to lean all the, the weight of that on you. Um, but I am going to, you know, walk through it a little bit so that you would understand that that passage that we're looking at today is right here on the screen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have not wronged me. We're really going to focus on the point right up to this, this, par this uh, period right here. That's really what we're going to focus on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this as we continue on next week and tie this verse into the rest of the paragraph. 
Um, beloved, I want you, I'm only going over this verse, I want you, there's a little bit theologically there, but I also want you to understand the weight of Paul's words here. We, oftentimes when we read the Bible, we read over the words as if they don't carry the weight of what they are. Look at it, look how he opens this. He says, I beg you. I want you to feel the weight of those words. You ever heard the phrase, this is life or death? Okay, I need you to read that understanding into these words as if I beg you. Because this is real, this is life or death. When you beg somebody, it's because there's something high at stake. You don't just beg people normally. But if we don't stop to, to appreciate those three words, I beg you, we're going to read the rest of it like it's, like, like it's water under the bridge, like it's no big deal. No, he's giving all of himself to these people right now. And he's saying, beloved, I beg you, hear me. I want you to picture in your mind's eye a person that, is, that you love most deeply. Who's the individual or the group of people that you love most sincerely? I want you to picture them in your mind's eye if you can. And I want you to imagine them being put in a dire situation. A situation that you can't force them out of. Maybe they're standing on the ledge of a tall building. Maybe they're getting ready to walk down a really dangerous alley. I want you to picture those people in that situation. It's dire. And the, and the problem is they're outside of your grasp. You don't have the ability to grab them and drag them to safety. You don't have the power to. They're just outside of your reach. There's almost, there's almost nothing you can do. And your heart is beating fast because you don't want the inevitable. I picture, I, I just happened to picture when I, when I was writing this, I pictured my little baby girl standing on a ledge, playing like, it, like it's fun. Like you ever see kids at a construction site? Nothing's dangerous to them. It's all fun, but you're like, no, no, baby, come, come here, right? That you resort to begging at that point because there's nothing you can physically do to drag them back in to safety. I know people like that, and you know people like that, where you spend time reasoning with them, you spend time empathizing with them, you spend time showing them a better way, but you're not sure it's hitting home, and so you kind of up the ante a little bit, you, you start recounting all the good times that you had with them. The, you remind them throughout the entirety of your relationship, you've been nothing but for them. You lean on the strength of your love for them. You start recounting the past. Why? You're trying to build up credibility so that the words that come out of your mouth will seem and be trustworthy in their ears. So after you've done all of that, you've begged them, don't go that way. That way is not good. That way is not helpful. It's going to be destruction for you on the other side, I promise you. You beg them. There's, there's nothing you can do but beg at that point. So was the reality of salvation. Beloved, I wish I could just grab a hold of all of you and just drag you physically into the kingdom. I would win. I would fight to win. But sometimes, but that's not the reality. I can't physically drag you anywhere, especially not into the kingdom of God. I wish I could intellectually or spiritually drag you to the kingdom of God, but I cannot. All I can do is lay down the truth of what God has said and then lean on the strength of my love for you and then beg you, please, repent, turn. Don't go that way. It's not good for you. This is what Paul's doing. I beg you, hear me. Paul loves these Galatians and he understands what's at stake. 
their very lives. That's why he says, I beg you, brothers and sisters. Paul is begging the Galatians to live a life free from the bondage of trying to earn God's favor by circumcision and law-keeping. I know this almost sounds like a broken record now because we've been in Galatians, but that means we're hitting hitting home with what Paul wants. Paul wants this to be over and over. Beloved, you cannot earn God's favor through law-keeping or circumcision. And he's going to continue to push this, push this, push this down our proverbial throats until we comprehend it. And if we don't, he's going to beg us. He's going to try to appeal to us in any way possible. Rather than earning God's favor by circumcision and law keeping, Paul wants them to receive God's favor through faith in Jesus. That's what he wants for them. And that's what I want for you, beloved. Now, Gentiles, Gentiles by definition and non-Jews, okay, in their world, there's us and then there's everybody else, right? There's us Jews, right? God's people, Old Testament people, and then everybody else, okay? The Gentiles were not and are not responsible for keeping the old covenant laws. Paul knows this. Those laws were given to the Jews and they were for the Jewish people. Here's the problem. The problem is that the Jews were using the law in an improper way by trying to impose it upon those individuals to whom it was not binding. They taught that both Jews and Gentiles, that they were to be in Christ, that they were to be saved from God's wrath. They had to qualify themselves and earn God's favor by circumcision and law keeping. Little do they realize that their attempts to earn God's favor, both theirs and the Gentiles, that they were to capitulate to this. It's like trying to appease your mother after being disobedient by cleaning the bathroom with her toothbrush. Yeah, sounded good for a minute, right? Beloved, that's how we treat the law. It sounds good for a minute. We disobeyed. We did mom wrong. Mom, I'm going to do you wrong. I'm going to clean this bathroom. Just so happens you use her toothbrush. Beloved, that's detestable in the sight of your mother. And you trying to earn God's favor by somehow obeying a law that you cannot uphold and that wasn't built to redeem you in the first place? That's not it. That's not it. The law was not built inherently to save you, just like a toothbrush was not built to clean your toilet seat. And if you use it the wrong way, it is a detestable thing in the sight of your mom and in the sight of God. Listen to what the scriptures say about this. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Remember he said that? We went over that a long time ago. But how? But by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16, it continues, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Galatians 3.11, no one is justified before God by the law. Galatians 3.21, for if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, and the implication there is that it cannot. Paul is making it very clear The law cannot and will not save you. It cannot and will not gain you favor with God. But the Judaizers, what they're called here, are pressing on the old covenant law on everybody, saying everybody has to adhere to this if you're going to be right with God. Not by faith alone in Christ, but by obedience of your own works. 
And what do we know what Paul is saying? No, 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 no. That's not it. Paul in our passage is saying, Beloved, Christ has set me free from, from works-based favor with God. Become free like me. You being a Gentile were born free from the law. You become free like me, just like I have become free from the law like you. Let's go back to that passage. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. That's what he's alluding to. He's saying, beloved, you being a Gentile, the old covenant was not pressed upon you. It was given to God's people. Don't let anybody put that yoke on you now. And beloved, guess what? I'm free from those laws and stipulations as well because Jesus Christ has fulfilled them for me. Don't go back to uh, uh, the covenant of, of slavery and bondage, which he's going to call it in a couple of weeks when we go. Don't go back to using it in a way that it was never meant to be used for. I'm free like you. You free like me. Let's stay free is basically what he's saying here. He's saying, let's stay free. You're free by virtue of being a Gentile. I'm free uh, as a Jewish man by virtue of what Jesus has done on the cross and fulfilling the law. Look what Paul says in Galatians 4, 5, 4, 4 through 5. When the time came to completion, this is for, oh, this from, oh, okay, there we go. This is the very point from last week that I wanted to allude to this week. When Paul's talking to the Jews, he's reminding them of their freedom in this. Look what he says. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law. He's saying, my Jewish brothers and sisters, understand, Jesus' death, life, life, death, and resurrection on your behalf frees you from the bondage of the law. It doesn't have hold on you. Now, because the Gentiles were born free from the law doesn't mean that Gentiles cannot sin, as some would erroneously say. That's not truth. What's the definition of sin? All unrighteousness. Remember, I gave you a sentence for that. Sin is any word, thought, or deed that contradicts God's character or commands. Now, I want to slow down because I want to explain this part a little bit. Some, there are people both in and outside of our community, who will tell you that because God's covenant, Old Testament covenant, was only given to the Jews, that the Jews are the only people that are able to commit sin. And if Jesus redeems from sin, then he only redeems those whom sin can be properly applied to. Y'all see the, 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 the thinking there? If only I can sin and Jesus redeems people from sin, then he can only redeem me and those like me. I.e., they would push on you that because they themselves claim or think they are Jews, God will only save them who are Jews. Everyone else is damned. But, but beloved, that's erroneous. That is not true. Sin is all unrighteousness. Anything that contradicts his character or his commands is sin. In fact, I'll be telling cats, y'all think the Old Testament law was numerous? There's 613? Y'all know there's over a thousand laws in the, in the New Covenant? Well, we get to that another time. We're going to get to that soon. It's coming. Look what the scripture says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. And I want you to look at what Paul is saying. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's that one man? Adam. Okay, the first man. And death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Verse 13, in fact, 
Sin was in the world before the law. Y'all see that? Now he says, but sin was not charged to a person's account when there is no law. But nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not, who's, who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. Beloved, it, the text that, where is it at? I got to underline here, but it's different up there. Let me see. Okay. How did death enter the world? Death came through sin. Sin is the, con- oh, sorry, death is the consequence of sin. You understand that, beloved? Death is the consequence of sin. Prior to the law being given, death reigned. From Adam to Moses, what does that tell you? Sin is being reckoned on everybody. Even before the old covenant law was ever given. From Adam to Moses, understand in between there, the people of Israel had already begun in the person of Abraham. Sin reigned from Adam through Abraham to Moses and on and onwards. The passage says that sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Now, if you're going to interpret that as you cannot sin unless there is law, there's a couple things I want to say about that. But then you have you have you have to change the beginning of the verse in order to interpret it that way. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. So if the law is the only way that sin can be applied, how is sin and death in the world before it existed? You would have to change the whole verse. Some scholars, and I tend to agree, I use this example just now, on, uh, on, not on purpose, but some scholars tend to agree with these two things as to how that last part of that verse applies. The reality that sin was built to emphasize the transgression against God is the first means by which you see that. It's like, yes, sin was heightened as a result. It was charged to your account in that way that you recognize, oh, I'm a sinner. And here's the example I like to give with that. I just used it. A child in a construction site. Is it dangerous for a child to be at a construction site? If the child doesn't know it's dangerous to be at a construction site, is it still dangerous for a child to be at a construction site? It's not until a child understands that that brick could fall down and crush your head that they have a conscious understanding that it's dangerous for me to be at a construction site. It goes in line with what Paul said in, uh, elsewhere in Romans. He says, before the law, I thought I was free, I was good, I was free. And then all of a sudden the law came and I started finding death and sin all up in me. The law brought a recognition of what already was. It heightened the reality. Unrighteousness was always going down. But in this way in which the law has come, there's, and there's another part of this, it has been heightened and, 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 and what's it called, uh, emphasized. Another part is this. There's never been a time in which God's people were never in covenant relationship with God. What's a covenant? Covenant is another word for relationship. What's a law? Law is another word for rules. Every relationship is healthy based on its adherence to those rules. There are several covenants in Scripture. There are several stipulations in Scripture. But what they're doing is taking Moses' covenant, raising that up above any and all other forms of covenant, not taking into consideration redemption history, both past and future, as to which covenants may apply to a particular people, Remember, Adam broke God's command. There was a covenant relationship with God and Adam. When Adam broke it, what happened? Sin came. Sin reigned. 
Look, oh, here's an example of pre. This is Genesis 6, beloved. This is the flood. Now, if you can only sin because of the law, then this, ver- this, this shouldn't exist. Now, the earth was corrupt. This is pre-law. What was the earth? Corrupt. In whose sight? In God's sight. Would you say that, that was, the earth is sinful? Full of unrighteousness? I think I would. And the earth was filled with wickedness. No Mosaic law. Yet the earth is filled with wickedness. Why? Because all sinned in Adam. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature was corrupt in its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth was filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. And we know the story, God flooded the world. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He says, for all who sin without the law, wait, stop, you see that? You can sin without the law. He just put a category. For y'all cats who are sinning without the law, now what? Will also perish without the law. It's ne- that, that's not the means by which God is going to use to judge you, beloved. All who, sin, all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And what's the implication? No one can do the law, right? If you could, you would be justified. So when the Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, Gentiles don't have it. So when the Gentiles, ethnos, not Hellenustos, those of a completely different people group who do not and never had God's law, ethnos, who don't by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law unto themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God God judges what people have kept in secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. Beloved, I want to explain this a little more, but but I I, want to keep with this. Here's here's the the summary of of, of these, these verses. People sinned before the law. We saw that. People sinned with the law. We saw that. People sinned without the law. We saw that. Okay? All we did is prove this one verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all we did, beloved. But believe it or not, there are people who are twisted in such a way to make it so that you can't be redeemed because you can't sin. It's not true. All people have fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, if you want just a, a primer on that, just read the book of Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 1, you Gentiles are stank. Chapter 2, you Jews, y'all stank. Chapter 3, everybody stank. That's basically what Paul does. He starts in the beginning, he says, y'all got the the Gentiles, you got the testimony of the world and the earth and all this stuff, and you choose to worship the... See, the God don't like that. You got the testimony of the the earth, and you choose to worship the creation rather than the the creator? Y'all wild, and they go see you Jews, and he's like, beloved, I gave y'all my very oracles. And you still, you still, okay, everybody jacked up. Romans 1, 2, and 3. Romans chapter 5 says that all people are in, all people, oh, hear this, okay. I don't have this up there. All people are in Adam. Everybody's in Adam. You, me, everyone's in Adam. We all come from Adam, so we're in him, so to speak. Jews are in Adam. The Jewish people are in Adam, but they also are in and under Moses. Anybody who's in Christ is in Christ and free from both Moses and Adam. 
Okay, that's, that's the equation. That's one of the equations. I'm going to give you a bunch of equations today. Yet these false teachers in Galatia want to bind the Gentiles to the old Mosaic covenant, saying you can't be right with God until you are like me. Until you are like me and adhere to everything I adhered with to, you cannot be right with God. I'm trying to enslave and bondage them. Paul is saying, don't let anyone enslave you to the rules of the old covenant by telling you that this is how you get eternally justified before God. You can't do these works and be good with God. Just like you can't scrub the bathroom with mama's toothbrush, you be damned. Because if you add anything to the perfect work of Christ, you ruin it. And this is some of what Paul is saying. You can't add to anything Jesus has done. If you add to it, you mess it up. Look at Galatians 5. We're going to we're not there yet in our, in our walk through Galatians, but I want to just skip there. So if I get redundant that week, it just is, right? It's for you. Paul says, take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you yourselves get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. That's what he's saying. Go ahead and do it. Christ will be of no benefit for you. You've trusted in yourself rather than in Jesus at that point. And if you trust in something other than Jesus, you earn, you earn yourself a one-way ticket apart from God's presence. Beloved, that's a kind way of saying hell. Okay, that's what that is, separation from God. He says again, verse 3, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You want to trust in yourself, then you got to hold all 613, Doc. And remember, don't know... Half of half of people don't even know what six, they don't even know the six the, the, the six thirteen. You who are, verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen, uh, you have fallen from grace. Can Paul be any more clear there that anything you add to the finished work of Jesus equals separation from God? You are what do he say? You are alienated from Christ. And these false teachers are having influence in Galatia. And Paul hates that they have influence in Galatia. Paul is begging them to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Beloved, look at this equation. This is, their, this is their math. This is their math. Jesus plus works equals salvation. That's what they're preaching. That's what they're peddling. They're saying, do this and you'll be, do this and trust Jesus, you'll be good. Do this, trust in Jesus, you'll be fine. But what they don't know is that Jesus plus works actually equals damnation. Paul just said that in Galatians 5. You're alienated now from God. What's the right equation? If Jesus plus something equals nothing, then Jesus plus nothing must equal everything. That's the idea there, beloved. That Jesus plus nothing. Faith in Jesus alone is everything. That's what you need. Why, beloved? Because when you place your faith in Jesus, beloved... He sends his spirit to indwell you, and he transforms you from the inside out. You are made right with him, and what that love that he rots within your soul begins to bear fruit in your body and mind. It's not that you start to do what he says in your body and mind in hopes that it transforms your inside and hopes that you connect to God. That's backwards. He says, no, trust me, I indwell you, I transform you, and now you're going to stop bearing this stuff out in your hands because it is you. It's your very substance of you. Now when I tell you that, the, remember the new covenant got over, a thousand, got over a thousand commands? The impetus, the push is not do, but be. 
Be a Christian and you will inevitably do these things. Be transformed and you will not lie because you, you love truth because God is truth. You hate deceit because he hates deceit. I'm going to teach that to you. It's already in you. You love light because he hates darkness. It's not a method, it's not a, a, a means of you doing. Beloved, this is why Paul says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. I'm free in Christ. You're free from, I'm free from the old covenant in Christ. You're free from the Mosaic covenant. Let no one put that yoke on me or you. It's not yours to hold, and I'm free by the one who has fulfilled it on my behalf. And it was transforming my soul. And Paul says, I beg you to believe this. Beloved, the gospel is the good news that despite your imperfections, by faith, Jesus can redeem you if you but put your trust in him. Its implications is that God loves you, beloved. I want you to hear this. Jesus gave his life as a demonstration of his love to redeem a people for himself. And he had you in mind from eternity past. You are no mistake. You are not here by accident. You're not hearing these words that you are set free from some kind of works-based salvation by happenstance. I beg you to stop trusting in yourself. Stop saying, I'm going to get right and then God's going to accept me. Don't do that anymore. It's God's going to, he loves me. He transforms me. Now I'm going to do right. If there's any human element to that, it's a motivation to, to, it's a motivation to honor the God who saved you. If there's any human element into it at all. The gospel is the news, the good news, that your sin is leading you to death, as we saw from the text, but by faith in Jesus, he has paid for your sin and leads you to life. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead to redeem us who were formerly spiritually dead. The gospel is the hope I cling to when all in this world is going awry. And beloved, I'm not saying that like tritely. That's real for me. Because oftentimes, man, y'all don't know what's in my head, bro. I'm jacked up. And then everything around me is jacked up. And I'd be like, is there any hope for anything? I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. You messed up. We all messed up. And I'm like, I don't even know where to go sometimes. That's when I got to cling to the truth of who God is and who I am in him and what he has done for me. And that's proof of his love for me. Everything else shrinks now. Now I can lift my hands. I'm like, I know all this stuff is going on around me, but I'm, I'm, I'm captioned. I, I can't take my eyes off the king now. The gospel is the glorious power of God to save me, to save my family, to save my friends from the destructive nature of sin, Satan, the world, and the flesh. If you're wondering what the world is, think about the flesh and then multiply it. It's everybody else's flesh. The gospel is the substance that I have tasted and seen and now understand that God is good. The gospel is the chief means by which God has proved his love for me. And beloved, it's the chief means by which he has proved his love to you. 
Now I'm going to do something, same thing that Paul did. I want you to hear me. I've broken bread with most of y'all. I've broken bread with most of y'all. If not me, one of the elders had. I've cried with you, both in person and on the phone. I've suffered with you. I've counseled with you. I've studied with, with you. I've been with you when your loved one passed away. I've watched your children and you've watched mine. We've had late night, multi-hour conversations and begging prayer for God to work. I've anointed you with oil, prayed over you, you for healing. I've studied to hopefully give you faith, biblically faithful sermons for three plus years. I try week in and week out, me and my team, to lead you closer to Jesus and each other. Beloved, if you can't tell that I love you and am for you, and perfectly so, yet it's true nonetheless. If you can't tell that, that's what I've done with y'all. Now I'm going to beg you. Don't, don't let sin have its way with you anymore. Please. Stop allowing your feelings and your flesh to dictate you, to move you apart from God's will. Don't do it. The other side of that lawn is brown grass. You've been caught in sin, beloved. Confess it. Don't hold it secret anymore. You know it's killing you. I beg you, stop pretending to be something that you may not be. Stop pretending to be as mature as you may not be. Plead for help. Beg for God's mercy. Scratch and crawl to remain in God's will. Remember what he has done for you, beloved. Please. Because if the logic of the text can't convince you, I'm going to lean on the strength of my love for you, and now I'm going to beg you. Don't go down that path. It's a bad path. I'm going to beg you on the positive side of that now. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to invest your time beholding Jesus. That's how you need to use your time. Invest your time beholding Jesus. You will not regret it, and I've not met the soul who has. I want you to invest your time in prayer, in reading, in identifying and killing the flesh, and in community. And you will grow beyond what you might think. I want you to invest your time loving God and loving people. And in doing that, you will be a part of changing not only this area of the city, but this city and this state and this world. I want you to rest in the truth that by faith in Jesus alone, you are free from the bondage of sin, that you are right in the Lord's eyes, that you are whole, beloved, and redeemed. Like Paul, I'm begging you, be as I am. I'm asking you, follow me, but only in as much as I follow Christ. If I lead you astray, you leave me. But if I point you to Jesus, you follow me. You hear the word, you lean on my heart, and allow me to lead you to green pastures. Follow the king. He will never leave you astray. I beg you, become as I am. Lord Jesus, there's so much more in the text that I want to talk about, but Lord, I think that what we've gone through just in this one verse is sufficient. In fact, in your perfect way it is. Lord, I pray that you would um, lead these people, draw these people closer to you. 
that you would fill up my heart and my team's heart and the elders' hearts to give us the bandwidth to love and cherish and serve the people you've called us to love and cherish and serve. Lord, you are truly worthy of all praise and glory. And I'm begging you, Lord, take hold of the people of our church who need you because there's only so much I can do. There's only so much our people can do. There's only so much humanity can do. Lord, there's, in all honesty, no one I have in particular in my mind, in my heart, as I even wrote that. But if the shoe fits, I pray that it convicts, that it would do what it does, that it would transform and redeem. Lord, we can be careful to give you all the praise. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.